There we are. I was just waiting for someone to say it. These people aren't people. Yeah, welcome to Earth, freaks. If you're looking for some crude proteins to snack on, I just shit my pants. You're welcome to help yourselves. Plunge. Written by Joe Hill. Art by Stuart Immonen. In the beginning, there was nothing. Then there were comic books. Once you enter our world, there is no escape. Comic exposure begins in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Comic Exposure Podcast. My name is Josh Buckley, and my under-the-sea witch is the one, the only. Get on the boat! Travis Rats here. I was going for a Little Mermaid thing, and I'm not exactly sure what you did. but I did John Carpenter. Okay, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. I like it. I like it. So, is there uh, an undersea... Wait a minute. Is there an undersea witch in this bitch? <laughs> no, but there's like undersea critters. And okay. And it made me think of Ursula. You, you, you're a real improv association, association yeah. type thing. Yeah, yeah, it was like freeform jazz. But we want to welcome you to the Comic Exposure Podcast, where Travis and I delve deep in two uh, graphic novels and trades the depths we we charge the depths we mm-hmm. explore the deepest dankest parts of comic book seed step beds yeah, in order yeah man to- we got a real dank one today bro <laughs> Uh, and it is a spooky book season. Oh, that's right. And it is a spooky book. Yeah. And so for spooky book season, our October, we always do an October episode where we read a spooky book. And the spooky book this year, I chose the spooky book this year. And I went with uh, Plunge uh, by Joel Hill, uh, written by Joel Hill, art by Stuart Eminent, with colors by the ever amazing Dave Stewart. Uh, a DC Black Label Hill House comic, um, not the normal spooks that we would we would read into on a spooky mm-hmm. book. We've done witches, we've done werewolves, we've done uh, zombies and demons. Uh, yeah, but I went I went a little I went a little different this time. I was trying to find one that did look. I was looking for one that, that wasn't, wasn't post apocalyptic, and I was looking for one <laughs> that wasn't your normal uh, ghosts and goblins. Right. And I think I found it. I think I found yeah. it. And I like I like Joel Hill. I think we've read Joel Hill before. We read Basket Full of Heads. We had Joe a ton Hill. of fun doing that oh, one. Oh, I think he said Joel Hill. Like he's a Cohen no. brother. Joe, Joe and Joel Hill. Joe and Joel Hill. Uh, we've read Joe Hill before, uh, and we, we've enjoyed his books, his prose. And so I thought, you know what? Mm. Let's let's go back and do a into a black label book. Let's check out what Hill House Comics is up to. Also, timely because uh, uh, Lock and Key season two just came out on Netflix this weekend. Oh, mm, I didn't know that. Time I never finished season. season one. I never yeah, finished season I, one. I kind of forgot about it. I forgot. I didn't think they were going to do a season two. Honestly, it didn't seem like there's a lot of chatter about it. Yeah, there wasn't well, there wasn't a Squid Games chatter about it. You know, I still haven't seen Squid Game. Yeah. But you know who has seen Squid Game, Travis? Which Everyone bothers me. Everyone in the world. The kindergartners playing Squid Game on the playground. What? <laughs> now, I 
To be fair, I haven't even looked up if like they they have they created this game. It's supposed to be like a Korean game, but I didn't know if they just made it up for the show, like a like a like something that should be a kids game, but like they're making it up because uh, the rules don't make sense to it. Or is it an actual game that people played, maybe more like in Asian countries or something like that? So either way, still not appropriate once it's uh, you know. Um, no, not appropriate for kids to pretend to shoot each other. When they're hiding, I don't know what's oh, going on. Oh, okay. So they're not playing. Okay, so Josh. No, they're they're playing. They're playing the film. Oh, the, the... okay. So in the the series, yeah. it's all about these childhood games that you'd play in the playground. And there's a childhood game called the Squid Game. It's kind of like Hopscotch meets Foursquare meets uh, Red Rover, Red Rover uh, meets uh, uh, Smear the word we don't say any like more yeah. in that context. Uh, and so it's an actual like playground game, but it sounds like mm. your kids are just reenacting the show. Yes, they okay. are just kindergartners are just walk. One of them is facing a wall and counting or something, and the other ones are walking towards them. And then when the one on the wall turns around, they're okay. That's just red light, green light, which is in the show as a death game, a childhood yes, death game yeah. in there. Okay, so they're playing murder each other, and I was like, I had to put a kibosh with the kindergartners. No more shooting each other on the playground, guys. You could play red no light. <laughs> I like this. No more red light, green light on the playground. What is this, a playground? Yeah. Get rid of this red yeah. light, green light. Yeah. That's but, spooky. That's spooky right there. Yeah. Like very meta. Yeah. Like, what if a bunch of kindergartners end up, like, killing each other, reenacting a game where adults are playing kindergarten games? I Boom. Very in, it's very Inception. Uh, so, on the program. We're going to dive into this spooky book. We're talking about Plunge, like I said, out on DC Comics. You can pick it up on the Comicsology in the books. It's out. It's good. It's recent. It's not too old. I literally think it was, is it this year, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. So we're reading, this is like a double. This is double. We're reading a newer book and a newer spooky book mm-hmm. for the show, man. So uh, I I thought, you know what, Let, let's dive into this one. It seemed a little out of the ordinary. Uh, you only get to see three pages on the preview on Comicsology, and it was a giant amount of squids uh hence squid game crack in uh, yeah like washed upon the shore giant squids washed up on shore so i thought yeah let's do that so my man let's let's you talk know, about you it. know you that old you... irish sea shanty oh a bunch of dead squids are washed on the shore oh one's alive and it's born to my brain all right, I didn't, yeah, really, yeah, I didn't, yeah. the rhyme didn't keep up there. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do, yeah. Josh. Uh, let's yeah. let's summarize because this because it's not like a property that people know. Uh, yeah. It's not uh, uh, characters that people know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt. Yeah, give it's, me. It's give been me a your week. Best. It's been a week, and uh, it's been a week. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, so uh, I've this, watched Dune three times. So I watched I don't it know last can... night. Ooh, are we, are we have to save that Ooh. for a variant, or do we tag yeah, that we on have that? To, we have to. Yeah, if we run out of squid yeah. talk, then we might tag it on at the end of this one. Uh, but right, most likely, it's going to take a, a variant. All right. So in this story, ah, uh, opens up with a uh, the the beacon of a long yeah. lost forgotten ship suddenly like gets on lost. Like, yeah, like forty years or something like that, like in the eighties. Yeah. Hey, remember Jesus. the eighties? So, so long old. ago. <laughs> it's like it's like a long, long time ago, like forty years, like the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so this kind of starts 
um, the the plot off because now we have a bunch of people interested in the, this ship that is giving off this beacon. In particular, we have this corporation. Don't ask what the corporation's name is. Uh, is interested. Uh, this the, the corporation owned the ship when it sank. Whalen. It's the Whalen Corporation. Whalen Corporation. Or... Game over, man. It feels uh, very alien, right? Yeah. There's, oh, that Paul, that, lot, that dude's a Paul Joe, Reiser character. Joe Hill is pulling from a lot of stuff. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> and so, one of these representatives from this corporation, very God, you nailed it with the Whalen thing. Um, Paul Reiser's character in this yeah. uh, goes and recruits a salvage team, an underwater salvage team crew, which is basically a group of three brothers or four brothers. Three brothers. Three brothers. One's a captain. The other two have their own skill sets. Uh, to uh, salvage the uh, cargo of this ship. Um, and there is also this scientist named uh, Moira. Uh, she is something with like a marine biologist. Yeah, yeah. She's like a marine biologist. They want to go see it or something like that. Like, yeah. Oh, or, or like... Uh, yeah, there's something in the cargo that she would be great at figuring out. So they bring her along here. So we have the head of a corporation. We got a marine uh, uh, biologist, and then we have a, a crew full of roughneck salvagers. Okay, and they yeah. go. They so go. They go take ahead. someone who should know a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. She, you know, into this place. She's not prepared for it, but she knows she's enough tough. about. She's a tough, tough, yeah, tough broad. It reminds me of. Uh, Something I've read before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or seen before. A little bit. A little bit like that. <laughs> um, so they go onto this, like, uh, undisclosed island, like, between, like, Alaska and Russia. Uh, and they go onto this island. They find this dead body. And they're like, oh, this is not part of the mission. But let's bring the dead body onto the ship because this could be, like, someone stranded on there. Uh, and it turns out, Josh, that, that that dead body was one of the crew members of the original ship and you know what josh turns out he wasn't dead he's still quote unquote alive yeah he's quote unquote alive and what we find out is that the crew of this ship 40 years ago washed up onto the shore and they were infested with alien parasitic worms and these worms are here on earth because they got a mission and our story follows our crew of roughnecks corporate men and marine biologists as they try to figure out what's going on with this crew, what do they want, how to um, get out of this situation, and all hell ensues. That's right. Plus one giant leviathan to wrap it all yes. up in a elder god sort of way. Is it a leviathan so, or is it a giant sperm? A giant baby. Giant baby. It feels very. It feels very uh, Cthulhu. Yes. It feels very Cthulhu at the end. Yeah. So. I, let me, Who let do me that ask Cthulhu you, like, like you do? Yeah, fuck you. But so, <laughs> <laughs> um, who do Cthulhu? We who do, do. Who do that? <laughs> Whatever, silly. All I right. was doing the the Voodoo Glow Skulls version of. Oh, it. I was doing that. Who do that Voodoo like you do? Which I can't. I was doing who do, who do Voodoo we do? Fuck you by the Voodoo Glow Skulls. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I thought who you were just Cthulhu? insulting me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, so like, so let me let me ask you, Travis. Like, we're reading a spooky book. Right. I went out on a limb to pick this. What did? What were your expectations? I mean, I knew n- literally nothing about it. 
when you just read the synopsis and dove in, what were you thinking? I didn't even Did read the go, synopsis. You said oh, we're gonna do this better. book. I just I don't. If you say we're doing this book, I just pay. I just buy the book, Josh. All right. You know, I and I power. and I expect the same in return. Such <laughs> unbridled. Although you have a much you have a much uh, higher hit rate than I do. I'm like, because I'll be like, I'll recommend it after I read the first three pages of a book, and then I'll read the rest of it. I'm like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> but it's too late. So, I've already sent out the text. What, what did you think about this as a spooky book? Right, We're, this is our Halloween read. What What is your take on it? What's your thought on it? What's your thought of? Okay, so yeah, let's go yeah. from that angle. So as a spooky book, I, I I like it. Like you said, it really does have that kind of action adventure uh, sense uh, of vibe. And so here is the thing we we talked about briefly in our minute discussion before uh, the podcast is. So I finished this book and I'm like, oh, that's a cool John Carpenter story. Uh, and then I read the back uh, like interview um, with Hill and he's like, oh, I always loved Carpenter stuff and I always wanted to write like a Carpenter-esque story. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Uh, check. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> I'm getting better at this analysis, illusion stuff. Uh, and so, you know, it's very much, so that's, if you haven't read this book or if you have read and you haven't made that connection, once you make that connection, it, it's, it's very f more fun to explore. Cause you know, kind of the ceiling of gore and scares you're going to get because those type of stories yeah. have a ceiling on how gory they'll go and how scary they'll go. And I think that is what Carpenter Carpenter does well is he has a real unco uh, uncomfortable, like more of a creepy vibe to his it's stories like body, than horror. Body horror. It's like a body horror creepiness, right? Yeah. It's very thrillery, but also like when you think of, so it does have a very sort of thing feeling to it, although right. it's not as locked, it's not as locked room, um, but it feels the like the crew does. The, the crew feels yeah. like the blue collar, heroes yeah. uh who have to it, yeah it day. feels very alien or aliens i think you could like it yeah. feels a little the marine biologist going into it feels aliens the crew feels very alien right because it's the salvage crew they get the ping they're gonna go check it out right the corporate guy feels very aliens paul riser mm -hmm. right um, but it then also does have that very John Carpenter monster vibe, not alien. Yeah, you know, I also recently uh, watched Deep, Deep Star Six for the first time, where they go underneath the water and there's a monster underneath there, and it's a crew, and it was kind of an alien knockoff. So uh, it very much there was this period in the '80s, with, like with Deep Star Six, and, like two other movies, where there were three under the Abyss, Deep Star Six, and one other where there were three. Uh, underwater monster movies in big budget monster movies in one year. Uh, and yeah. I think uh, that l like Armageddon deep impact, I think that oversaturated, <laughs> I think that oversaturated the market for a long time. And so people kind of stayed away from it because it was just so much at once. So we did, we haven't really seen a bunch of underwater horror stuff. I don't think in any genre, at least as a, the Meg, the Meg, Maybe. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I think I <laughs> was a giant monster movie. Yeah, that's, that's not a horror but like not an alien, not like a creature no. in there. It's it's just like a big. Uh, yeah, it's a big. Yeah, and then you have like Deep Blue in the shark movies. But I think shark movies almost fall into uh, their own. Oh, it's genre. Their, their own genre. Their own yeah. genre for sure. And so but I like. What do you What do you think about that that genre, Josh? Uh, is it just I, like a cool way of doing a space 
story on Earth? Yeah, it's it's essentially. Well, this doesn't take. Pl- I mean, this is on an island, um, so it feels remote right. enough to yeah. be alien, right? Um, they the weather keeps them from leaving, right? They don't have their ship blows up, so I think it ends up being a locked room, like so many of those great mm-hmm. thrillery horror films are, whether it's Thing or we talk about Alien or, you know, uh, The Abyss, like that really sort of locked room scenario. They are trapped. They can't go away. Um, They have to deal with this issue. And what I appreciate is Joe Hill plays the game well. Lots of characters die. You don't think you're going to get a happy ending, right? (laughs) Like it, it isn't going well for any of the characters in the book. I think he does a really good job of ratcheting up the tension every kind of issue. Like there's something else that's sort of something else that kicks it up a notch, whether it is their ship kind of being on fire or whether it's, you know, um, finding that the whole crew is these worms, the body being on their ship and killing somebody like all of these pieces kind of stack on top of each other. Uh, and I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I will say I didn't like the ending. I didn't like the Cthulhu elder God sort of ending. Yeah. So you mentioned that earlier about this idea that it, you have that Cthulhu, you have that, uh, 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 Lovecraftian type tone that mixes in there, which you didn't really see until the monster takes his final, final form. And yeah. it's it's weird to have another genre smashed in to a story three fourths of the way through. And now, if it, there were, go ahead. You know who that is? That's that's the most Stephen King and Joe Hill, Stephen mm-hmm. King. So that's the most Stephen King thing to do. Right. Wait a minute. It's not an Indian burial ground, guys. It's aliens. Did I well, tell you that? Right. Or like the big swerve at the end of the book, you've been building up to what this thing is. And, oh, it's it's not a clown. It's a giant fucking spider monster. You know right? what? Like, yeah, you know what? That kind of, it's, it's interesting when you say that. I never thought about this before. But King and Joe Hill, to a certain effect, they almost use a genre change as an ex machina. Yeah. Like, instead of having something just come out of it and solve the problem, we're just going to change the genre. And that's going to solve my problem as a writer. Like, oh, yeah. what is this thing? Well, let me just change the genre, and now it's a dragon. Let me just change right. the genre, and now it's a uh, a serial killer. Let me just change the genre, and now it's a, an evil gnome. Right. You know? Uh, I so reading, I never thought about that way. That's really astute, Josh. Very astute, Yeah, I was Josh. reading. I'm trying to remember which, which I think it was uh, Desperation, I think, is the Stephen King book. Desperation, and like, why like, don't you come to your senses? If I'm remembering it right, I think that's what it is. It's like... Um, they're like stuck in this small town and you're like, Oh man, everybody in this town is crazy. The sheriff is trying to kill him or whatever. It's very like thrillery. And then you find out, Oh, it's, it's aliens. Or it's like, right. I was reading it and, and all of a sudden I'm like, well, that's a weird freaking swerve, right? Like it was not, it felt very horror move. It felt very horror. And then all of a sudden he flips it to be sci-fi. I just read all right? of the um, skeleton crew. Uh, the okay. his, his anthology of um, uh, short stories, and in that he does that a lot. Like there's one, my favorite one in there is the Vault, uh, and it's um, this kind of science sci-fi story. But at the end, it becomes like a body horror 
um, story. And it only in like the last three pages of a 20, 20 page story. <laughs> and it works though. It works. Yeah, like you're and, like, and you, I'm not saying that I'm yeah. not saying that this doesn't work. It just wasn't what I was expecting. It doesn't work as well in here as, as King has made it work. And I will be honest about it. I, I like the story a lot. Like yeah. I had a really fun time reading it. Well paced, uh, engaged the whole time. Uh, Joe Hill, we'll talk about in a second, writes dialogue really well. Yeah. Um, it's it's borders between being engaging and crass at times, which is called, always kind of nice. I always love that stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you do love, you know, your favorite comic books fall in that line of like, oh, that was a little too crass, speaking, right? Like, speaking of a line, here is one of the things that I feel like is very Carpenter of it. Um, uh, so this is on one of the pages. This is one of our more comic characters. There we are. I was just waiting for someone to say it. These people aren't people. Welcome to Earth, freaks. If you're looking for some crude proteins to snack on, I just shit my pants. So you're welcome to help yourselves. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that's a very, very thing. John Carpenter, like, right? yeah, it's a very yeah. like I could see uh, uh, Amy, Jack Burton saying, yeah, Jack Burton <laughs> saying that. Welcome it to does. Earth, freaks. I really do. I did dig the sort of like zombie esque hollowed husk human sort of thing that we get when the worms get in there. I like the scene of the worm going into one of the other characters and turning them quickly. That reminded me of Wrath of Khan. You, like, I don't know your Star Trek mm, knowledge, but no. Wrath of Khan, um, there's this giant, there's this worm that they put in your ear and it takes over your body, right? Okay. And so it reminded me of the little, even the little sluggy thing looked like the Wrath of Khan worm. Uh, that they put in, I can't remember whose ear they put it in. If it's Sulu's or Chekhov's ear that they put it in, uh, it's it's oh Chekhov's. My. <laughs> but, but it's very. It reminded me of that. And so I think one of the things that Joe Hill does really well is he pull. He's he's pulling from a lot of places mm -hmm. in this book. And I don't know how much of the little worm was Eminem trying to figure out how do I make this look like. What am I going to make this look like? Um, but it did. It did remind me of the sort of Wrath of Khan worm. Um, he pulls from genres very well. I think my my only thing is we had these three brothers, but it not. I don't feel that that really ever paid off very well. No, I don't think that. I don't think them being brothers paid off. And so, and that's an important part because the ending, uh, or like, if we're gonna say, I don't need this story to have an emotional core to it, honestly. But no, Joe Hill, Joe Hill does attempt to put an emotional core in it. At the end, it feels like there's a shoehorn emotional moment where one of the brothers sacrifices himself for another, the, the other brothers, and then makes the ultimate sacrifice in the end because he can't live without his brothers. And we're like the way it's written, it's supposed to be like it seems like, like an emotional climactic beat. But because we didn't spend enough time with those brothers, we didn't really understand the relationship um, or the, the relationship. We didn't spend enough, we didn't spend enough time with them to really feel their sacrifices or losses the way the character did, and therefore it rang a little bit hollow. But I don't, I don't. But again, that's very B movie ish. You don't. Yeah, for sure. It didn't. It, it's, I'm not. I, I don't want to complain. I'm not trying to complain about that part. I'm. I, it is just very like. Why do they have to be I, brothers, anyways? Yeah. Right. I think. I think. In a movie, you probably could have played that relationship a little better with a couple more pieces of dialogue, a, a little bit more of like noogie, like punch in the arm moments, right? And it may have felt a little more, 
there just isn't space for it. I don't think in these issues we're in, mi- we're missing we're missing that character building piece of it. I think a little bit much in a movie in a, in a, a a story about body snatchers where a worm could take over your body and looks like you, but I guess not in this one. I mean, it would be it nice. Doesn't. It would be yeah. nice that if like the brothers like that was a beat where it's like the reason that they that the worms couldn't get one over on them is because. Uh, of their relationship, you yeah, know, know in some way, well. yeah. But like, once that worm gets in, you're you're different. You, you right? don't look, yeah, you look. It, I I think for me, there was it. The worms were cool. That was cool. But the three gifts were strange. I was like going to bring that up. Like That's a genre thing. Murder. Yeah, it was very hard for me to kind of like figure out. But you use them to defeat the monster at the end, right? right? So what Josh so, is talking about that's the MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah what what josh is talking about is so they when they discover this this tribe of um uh possessed uh, uh crew of the old ship um they have these talismans the these gifts uh, one is headphones like a walkman um yeah. oh we should say that th- this alien race is very advanced in their ability to use math and so because they're so far advanced in math, math becomes almost like magic. You know, it's like, you yeah. call it science. In my world, we call it magic, right? It's, they're <laughs> so advanced that they can do things with numbers uh, that can create these, like you say, MacGuffin right. magical items. Yeah. One of them is a headset that allows you to see into the inner thoughts uh, yeah. and the mind of someone else. Another, which was really weird is just this item that is when you look upon it like instills You'll do whatever you can to get it yes right yes yeah if you, if you look even glance at it with your human eyes then you will tear everyone apart to keep it you will do anything to get it that was kind of yeah. cool uh and then i forgot what the third one was maybe it was just two but anyways, it did feel a little bit strange because any of those items could have been their own story, you know? Right. It felt very like, these are the things you need to defeat the monster at the end, and I'm giving them to you now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use them in the story. But it, again, it again feel it is it feels very much in line with this sort of genre, right? It, right. It, he isn't doing a straightforward science fiction. He's not doing a straightforward horror. He's bringing in sort of this otherworldly thing. It felt very, I don't know if like, if you've read the golden compass, right? There's like a knife in the golden compass that you use to cut through time and space or something like Mm -hmm. that. I'm trying to remember exactly, but very much like here's this item, right? I think the only thing it was missing is like, there was, there was no quest to find those items. They just gave them to them. Nothing in you know? the, nothing in the story feels that organic. It feels yeah. like he reaches a point and then looks at other stories to find a device to bring in to to continue writing. Now I'm not yeah, saying that I'm, is a bad thing because I I'm, think right. it works. And that's I think that's yeah. the, a testament to what Joe Hill can do because his characters are interesting and they're very diverse. Like the, as yeah. far as like oh I could tell this brother is different than this brother and this you yeah. know and I mean his dialogue is his dialogue's good the personalities he's putting in it are different and varying and good the pacing is really well done in it the creepiness the body is horror is good yeah like there isn't something that I it I think like for me 
there's just these little things that I'm like, well, that didn't, I don't understand why that's there, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. Right. I'm, I'm, let me give you an analogy. He's kind of like a DJ. He's like Moby. Like nothing's, <laughs> or, nothing's original, but like he's just taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Yeah, and you're like, or Fat Boy well. Slim. You're like, I freaking love Fat Boy Slim. Fat Boy Joe <laughs> over here mixing it up, uh, just different items of different genres that he loves and making it work on the track. Um, yeah, and we saw him do that in the last book we read of his with um, when we read Basketful of Heads, right? Mm -hmm. He takes this sort of, that sort of New England Jaws town, right? And then brings in, you know, the, the small town cop and the, uh, the sort of, um, the sort of like corrupt town. You think it's going to be like this corrupt sort of like, oh man, the cops are in on it you know, burglary thing and then come to realize, nope, there's a magic sword that, or yeah, <laughs> I think that one's know. a little bit better crafted. The, the, the part about the magic axe and like the Norse mythology yeah. feels very much like an, a, an element from this story where it's like, yeah. eh, it doesn't quite fit. Uh, but there, the, 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 the arc of June as the single protagonist who has to uncover a mystery there right. wasn't a lot of mystery in this. There's like the no. facade of a mystery, but they get to that real quick. Yeah, but I thought I thought it was good. I I enjoyed it. So I mean, uh, Joel Hill is a writer. Um, I, I mean, we, we've kind of batted around at this. You know, what did you? Were you satisfied with the outcome of this tale? What did you I, think? About I think the you know. I, I spent a whole month doing Stephen King stuff, um, and. <clears throat> Even when you read Basketful of Heads, um, I think that uh, Joe Hill can it can write stories like this if he continues to be as prolific as he is. Because I think that's yeah. the thing with Joe Hill. This isn't like the first Joe Hill story that we've gotten in the last two years. He's pumping out stories in like for television, for novels, for different comic books yeah. on his label, and so he just seems to be kind of using his tools to create stories as opposed to trying to create something from whole cloth and make it like the one masterwork, very much like his father. So I think if he keeps up that pace, I think one out of every six Joe Hill stories is going to be, ah, wunderbar, I, like basket, I, I like think, basket full of heads. Right. I, I think you're right. I think like he is a good writer. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I found myself recently just reading King's small stuff. Mm -hmm. um i was reading uh if it bleeds uh you know a collection of short yeah, stories that, I really cat like, on it, yeah yeah i really like his novellas i really like uh you know a couple a couple of his like shorter books i've been reading i really enjoy those those are those are good he writes so much stuff that i think i think someone you're right like joe joe hill everything's not going to be the biggest winner but they're all are, there's always there's something good in it Right. right. There's something interesting in it. There's something fun in it. He gets there's to play some, with these. There's something quintessentially Hill about it. Just like the way, yeah. no matter if it's a good King story or a bad King story, there are quintessential King moments in it. And this yeah. has some quintessential Hill moments. It's in it. It's got really good dialogue. He's a good, he writes good dialogue. He writes good character interaction. He's very good at that. Um, I really dug it. So let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, Eminem on art. What did you, what did you think of the you know, art? I was here? trying to think if we had done a, a specific Eminem piece before. Eminem is, is, is really big on like the, the big two. He did what? He did Thor. He did the God of, didn't he do oh, God of, Oh, uh, the God Bomber, like the. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was Eminem. Oh, it? It that, was that's, more painterly. 
Yeah, it was so more painted on the colorist. Color, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, so we have uh, before. I thought I thought it fit well with this. I thought it fit really yeah. well with this. Uh, I thought uh, one of the. I know he didn't do the coloring. Um, that's our other boy on here. Um, oh, it, yeah, it, Stewart. It is Dave very, Stewart, right? Yeah, it feels very Dave Stewart. The colors feel very BPR. They feel very Hellboy, very yeah. BPRD colors, right? Um, and so I thought it established a good tone. Again, we've used that term carpenter. I feel like that uh, uh, um, um sketching. It's like it's 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 just a, just. Maybe on a scale, if the 50% is like, this is solid art, and then we go from polish to sketching, he's just a little on the sketch side. And I think that's perfect for that kind of carpenter feel to it when you're looking at these blue-collar characters and kind of these uh, roughneck characters. Uh, I feel like it captures that really well. Uh, I feel... I I really did feel cold in reading this. I felt the environment really well. I think... I think Stuart did a really good job with that palette of colors. Yeah. Um, I thought his, I thought Eminem's design of like the worm riddled crew members was really good. That sort of very hollow eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dave Stewart choosing that sort of red hair. Um, my only issue is that the captain looked very similar to the brut, like to the captain, yeah. the both captains looked similar and that I was like, well, that seems like a weird choice. That they both have sort of reddish brown hair and beards. Like I, that couldn't have. I don't know. Like I don't know if it was purposeful. Um, Here's the question. But I did. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I did like that. I did like the the sort of monster design. The worms were cool. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Uh, talk to yeah. me about how you think he, as far as the ultimate monster. Talk about what you thought about the design and also. At some point, do we like? Are we seeing too much of this Cthulhu design come back into pop cultural zeitgeist, or do you think that it works here? Um, I I liked it. I I thought it. I mean, it wasn't. And I think the only reason I'm saying Cthulhu is because it's a giant sort of sea monster with tentacles, right? But this isn't. I mean, it doesn't look like Cthulhu, but it is this giant, uh, many-eyed sea worm thing. Um, but I I. I I think that has kind of been in the zeitgeist a little bit, right? It is out there. There's like cute little Cthulhu stickers and stuffed animal toys you can get. It's a very sort of nerd, a very sort of nerd culture thing. Um, So it makes sense, right? Like if you're doing a big giant undersea god that you might, you might go with something that's familiar, right? You might go with this sort of familiar thing. But like I said, it doesn't look like Cthulhu, but it just gives me that sort of vibe, a giant tentacle sea monster with many eyes. It's I was like it never has really into that stuff. Like I, I like, I feel like I like Lovecraft maybe in like a hipster sense of it where I'm like, because... You know, before Lovecraft Country, as being an English major, yeah. I knew about Lovecraft. I've read stuff from Lovecraft before. Never a huge fan of his prose. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's a bunch of art developed from that. You know, a lot of fan yeah. art on on Lovecraftian stuff. Uh, and so, I maybe I appreciate it more than I personally like it, if that makes sense. Like, I understand yeah, I, where I, it comes from more than I personally like it. 
And I do believe that sort of idea of the elder God, the hidden monster, right? Mm -hmm. The, the thing that you can call forth, that is this Leviathan like giant creature Mm -hmm. is very appealing, right? It's very like end of the world. Mm -hmm. I like it when they do it in Hellboy stuff. Right. Like how else will we, how else will we, how else do you raise the stakes? And that was my own, that was the only thing that felt out of place is this felt a very small scale story. Mm -hmm. If we just kill these worms and these crew characters on this Island, we've saved the planet. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. But all of a sudden it gets knocked to this much larger thing. And I go like, Oh, okay. This took a much bigger save the world bent than I thought it would. Right. And the the characters just start accepting it as they start like as the crew and all their people just start dying off left and right. Yeah. They're very much like, all right, I guess we gotta kill this thing. <laughs> yes, and which is very genre, right? Yeah. That's very much like no question about it. Yep, we gotta do it. Very Armageddon, right? Yeah. Very like like cruise. Yeah, it reminds me of those those stories that for a while there were there'd always be like a cruise ship. And there'd be something happening to the cruise ship attacking it or a virus on it. And it's like, yeah. I could see him running through the bowels of the ship. People are dying left and right. And they're like, we got to drop this bomb inside <laughs> this thing's chest. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's the only way. But again, it did feel, I mean, it, it again, harkened back to a very John Carpentry thing. But I liked Eminence art. I think he did. I, I think he did a really good job on it. Although the the CEO looks maybe a little too much like uh paul giamani yeah uh, that's a, yeah that's a good call yeah <laughs> like the paul rise the paul riser character is very much uh now they do end it with that character uh having that moment at the end do you think it's right. a setup for a sequel or do you think that's just like the b movie ending like that you put at the thing you put at the end of it that's a very b movie ending. yeah i think so too because i don't think there's anything else i don't think there's any more chicken on this bone josh as no far what, as, what else, like yeah what else would you do Right? Like that guy goes out and like creates like another hive somewhere. And then you got to bring in what the scientist, because she's like the only one left. Right. Like, well, then I guess that gives you your aliens moment, right? Oh, she's, she goes she's to their lived, world. She lives to, she's, she's lived through it. She's the only one who knows what they're like, you know? I guess it depends on how the book sells, whether it's a sting or <laughs> I think a sequel. I think it's a sting. Joe Hill feels like a guy who'd be like, no, that was just a fun thing to do at the end. I'm not going to... Yeah. Like, that's the, your... The interview at the back your, of the book seems to suggest that, too, where it's just like, this is a sandbox, just playing in the sandbox. Yeah. yeah. And he does it. He does a really good job at playing in the sandbox, man. So, uh, well, who do you give this to, Travis? Uh, oh, man. Um, I mean, I the, the only thing I, I think it has... Oh, should we do favorite panels first? Oh, yeah, I guess we do favorite things. Uh, mine is, let's see, I bookmarked it. Let me get to it. It is a horror because this is a spooky book. I'm going to pick a spooky panel. And that was the one where the guy is smashing the bottle with the worm in it. And that is on page, oh, here we go. Um, on digital reader. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Location 117. Um, there is that orange page where the, uh, uh, Paul Giamatti's character is, uh, smashing <laughs> this, uh, glass jar full of one of those worms in it into one of the crew's face. 
and you just see the glass splinter and then you the next panel is like the worm going into it the worm going into the mouths are like the most horrific parts of these um yeah things because you almost feel the texture of it and right. like you can't help but imagine something crawling into your mouth, like a centipede crawling into your mouth. And it kind of makes me a little queasy when I would see any of these panels. But I thought it was cool how he used the glass jar as a weapon. Not that the glass yeah. jar was going to kill the guy, but that knowing what was inside of it. I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to pick a, a worm panel, uh, page 91 on your digital reader, uh, where she is... Uh, the one character is up chucking the worm into one of the brothers' mouths. Ooh, I know that panel. Let me get to it right here. Okay, there. But because they ate the mushrooms. Oh, yeah, that's so crazy. That's so gross. Right? It's the little legs, Josh. It's the little legs as they, like, pull apart. But because they ate mushrooms, again, a very, it's a very good genre sort of thing, right? Like, the only thing that protects us is the one crunchy granola brother off. Yeah, eat the worms. yeah and like oh why were you in the story and why are you like the first one to die <laughs> right um but I, I i i did enjoy it i did really i i thought it was fun as far as who to give it to i think the easy know, and, the, the thing that makes it a little bit more open is because it's so quick of a read right again that guilt of it's not a tome it's not the like like a a, a, math, a brian k vaughn thing where it's like you got to read all 67 it is yeah. Like, hey, you got a you got an evening with a glass of red wine, maybe two, boom. It's a fun yeah. book. Yeah, it's also very much like it, who like who do you know who likes this sort of genre, right? Who do you know who likes this sort of John Carpentery exactly thing? Right? I'm gonna you know I, you I'm, have a friend who loves the thing. You know you have a friend who loves that stuff. I'm going to be real specific about this recommendation. It is October. And so one of the conversations you get in with people is like, oh, I love October. Like, well, you love to watch scary movies, but I don't like to only watch them in October. And then you ask, oh, what kind of scary movies do you watch? And if they say anything Carpenter, be like, hey, I got a comic book that you might like. And that's it. Right. If they say, if they say like they actually like horror movies, I don't know that no. this does it for them. But right? if they're like, what are you uh, watching this month for October? And they're like, The Thing, uh, uh, John Carpenter's Vampires. <laughs> <laughs> John Carpenter, Big Trouble Little uh, China, <laughs> Big Trouble Little China, um, yeah, uh, Mars or whatever the Red Planet one is. But yeah, I would say it's a three-part question. If they get the first three questions correct, then you can say read this book. Yeah, I would just say if that's their thing, if they like that sort of John Carpentery horror, or they like Alien or that sort of locked space horror thing this is probably a good place for them if they're yeah. looking for if i walk into someone's things, house and they have a xenomorph action figure or a poster then i would say hey you check this one out yeah yeah it's a good one it's a good yeah. one or if they have the thing poster on their wall give this to give this to yeah or we call them a poser right. hey poser <laughs> hey poser uh but yeah so i think i i enjoyed it i dug it i'll read more from joe hill this isn't something where I, it didn't knock my socks off, but it was a good fun read for spooky season. Right? It is. It is not dissuade me at all from reading any other Joe Hill stuff. Yeah. Not one good. bit. It was good. I think that's the phrase I would use for it. It's good. Yeah. 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 Snackable. Snackable. Uh, oh, I like that. It's a good yeah. snack. It's a good little October snack. Yeah. Right. Get yourself some candy corn. Get yourself a little, a little pumpkin porter. So and, uh, before we before we leave out of here, Josh, your comment here just yeah. just let let's let's end with something 
uh, spooky month related is yeah. you're a beer guy. Yeah. You're a beer guy. If you're to pick a, a certain type of beer and a certain type of Halloween candy to be like, oh, let's, let's say you're out passing out treats, Halloween treats the kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't want to do that dead sober. So you're out on the porch. You I never a, do. You got a beer. Never, you got a, a beer, beer every Halloween. <laughs> and you got in the koozie because you're trying to be respectful to the kids. So you got like your like uh, do, your, your your high school beer koozie. I was about to throw out like <laughs> <laughs> names of schools. Um, you got your beer koozie. You got your, your beer. What beer do you have in there to pair with what Halloween treat? Oh, man. I think if you're going, I think Halloween is a perfect time chocolate candy is the perfect thing to do with a nice sort of coffee beer right mm. a nice dark stouty beer is a good with any, or any pe- those those peanut butter dark stouts that they have yes. right now maybe yeah. that and like a reese's that's a no-brainer right yeah is that too much i like it might be too much i like a good i think you can't go wrong with a coffee stout and some chocolate mm-hmm. always good i think that that's if a, you a, had a, to, if you had a pairing. if you had a like a, a more of a, a fruit tooth like a Skittles or a gummy. That makes it a little oh, more th- difficult, I think you, Josh. I think you can go with a good a good sour. A good sour beer yes. is you can do with a good sour or like a good like a saison or a farmhouse ale would be good, right? Ooh. It's not overbearing. Here's right? what I want you to do. I want you to get a uh a uh on those the sour patch kids. And I want yeah. you to dump them in your favorite sour beer. Oh, well, that might be too much. Have that sit at the bottom of there. You know, I have, just diabetes I have done, it up. I have done beer Halloween candy pairing. I've like I've had oh, the really? let's hang out and eat candy. Yeah, there's like a whole there's like this is exactly the question that I was asking you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought I was being original, but nope, nah, nah. just on the bandwagon. There are people who do this every year. Uh, you know what I ate though? Let's let's wrap up on something disgusting. You know, like uh, candy corn. Brock's right makes the candy corn. Love it. They made Thanksgiving dinner candy corn. It is go on. The worst. There's a green bean one. There's a turkey one. So same texture, same shape. Yes. But the colors one denote taste. what flavor of yes. the meal it is. So, so it's not primary? like uh like peas, mashed potatoes, and yams no. in one triangle. No, it's there's a green bean triangle, a stuffing triangle, a cranberry sauce triangle. None of them are good. Oh God, they're all bad, Travis. There's a, like the one I had had a coffee in it. The coffee one was okay. The pie one was okay. The turkey, the turkey tasted like someone took a packet of gravy mix, like the powder, and like congealed it into this shape of a. Well, it was bad. It was bad. I made so I I made my I brought them to work and had my uh, principal and my dean eat them with me. I'm like, all right, guys, we're trying. Oh, like these. birdie bots. <laughs> it was so gross. It was so bad. Here's the thing about candy corn. I like I love it in the candy corn it. shape. If you give me like a candy corn textured pumpkin, like a Brock's pumpkin, no, no. not okay. Or a no. ghost, no. It's too no. much. It's too much yeah, it's candy. Too much. Yeah. Yeah. Like the candy corn triangle is the perfect size. Yeah. For that treat. I'm glad we I'm glad we agree on this. It, look, great minds, Travis. <laughs> all right. So, folks, we want to thank you for tuning in. You know, you can find all the episodes at comicexposure.com. You can listen to the podcast wherever you're listening to it right now. But let's say you're like, I'm listening to this on Apple Podcasts and I'm kind of getting tired of Apple Podcasts. Well, you can find us on Spotify, which I have moved all of my podcast listeners. Really? I was going to ask you if you've done that. Yeah. Yeah. I know that there, there's a lot of uh, Spotify uh, exclusives because Spotify will allow you to use songs um, 
as long as you're doing it through their Spotify a podcast app. So a lot of people are, there's a lot of great uh, band radio discussion. There's, like a, yeah. there's also like a lot of good radio. I listen to a podcast that's like all hardcore. Like oh. it's like old, it's like a, like a Saturday night college radio hardcore. She's Jude. You just, she like, does that is, ten, that is the thing. She does 10 songs. She's like, all right, I'm only playing new shit. And she goes, this one's out of blah, blah, blah. She talks about the band a little bit plays like three songs. She's like, all right, you just heard blank and blank and blank. So good. <laughs> Mark, Mark for life. Great podcast. Good radio. I'll check it podcast. out. I, you yeah. just like, I can't believe I put two together. And now that you can do that on Spotify, there's no reason you can't have like a Wolfman Jack. Yeah. Like once yeah. a week, like midnight where it's just like, you don't have to fill an hour of content. You just have to have yeah. the cool, like, all right, all you ghosts and ghouls and goblins out there. This is uh, yeah. Halloween rats. Coming yes, to you live. You, you from can the make rat, your yeah. own radio show now, yeah. Travis Rats. Wow. You can do your own radio show. So That's all I wanted in life. And she like gets people to re- like she gets premieres. Like in the hardcore scene, people she's the first one to play it. So if you want to hear this new track, you have to go listen to her episode before it drops next month or whatever. So mm. it's pretty rad. It's pretty rad. All right, folks, you can find us on all those places. Give us a re- review, follow us on Spotify, all that good stuff. And now that I know that Travis has watched Dune, the next episode is a variant Dune episode. But he also Dune. has to watch the he has to watch the David Lynch no! 1984 version. So I will say this movie, it was so crazy. This movie stops pretty much where I left when I when I stopped reading Dune. A little bit after ah. it. And there are things in here that I'm like, mm, I don't remember this girl being in the first part of the book. Two, there are some scenes that really stick out in my mind that were in part of the book, but were like I was like, oh, it feels to me that this and is... talk about it, Travis. Okay. Sorry! Right I'm sorry! For the I'm variant. Sorry. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, Travis and Rats, and I will see you next train. <laughs>